what exactly is finance. It's really packages of trust, uh, having intermediaries, verifying it, passing that trust along through legal contracts, legal system. And I think the technology of, of blockchain really make that a lot more efficient, having a lot of this on a distributed basis across the system. You're listening to Crypto Savvy, the show that demystifies digital assets and uncovers all things cryptocurrency. Brought to you by the Hashkey Group, a leader in financial technology and digital asset management. Crypto Savvy, the essentials. Today, I want to take you inside Hashkey Group, the sponsors of this podcast and my employer. Our next guest is Michelle Lee, the head of Hashkey Group. He's actually trained as a physicist and started his career in financial services, as he says, as a quant. So how does somebody with that technology background then spend two decades in UBS leading their capital markets across Asia? And what is it about Hashkey Group that intrigued him? Listen to his interests and his excitement as he talks about the growing world of financial technology and what will be through Hashkey Group. Thank you very much, Michelle, for joining me in the studio today. It's a great opportunity to learn more about you and to introduce our listeners to Hashkey Group. Do you mind, uh, as a start out, to tell me a little bit more about your career and what brought you into your current role at Hashkey Group? Thank you very much, Walter. Very happy to be here to um, share a few thoughts um, about Hashkey and what we do. I was actually, interestingly, I was trained as a physicist and a computer scientist. Um, I have had a master's degree in artificial intelligence from the Imperial College London. Now, I graduated in the early days uh, in finance where really very little computing power was used in finance. So I was one of the, I think, first, I guess, uh, graduates that were were hired onto a trading floor in, in the city of London. Uh, building interest rate uh, derivative trading systems. So I was really a quant, that's where I started my career. Then I, uh, over the years, moved really to uh, manage various uh, derivative businesses in in Asia. Uh, I was in Tokyo for quite a long time, then I moved to Hong Kong back in 2007, where at that point, my career has really moved from a very quanty, tacky product person into much more of a frontline, uh, I guess, financier. Um, I was then running um, the capital markets team for UBS in uh, Asia Pacific. Then uh, I was also uh, then heading up the investment banking uh, business for them in China. At that point in time, I got very involved in quite a large number of technology-related uh, companies, uh, both in raising money for them on the pre-IPO rounds and also in the IPO market. It really just sort of tickles me in, in terms of, it reminds me of my roots, right? I, I think being a technology person, you, you, you are always very fascinating about the new technology. And I think being in finance, you ended up with really focusing on a lot of on the soft skills, which is great. But at the same time, um, I felt I was really falling a little bit behind on, on what's going on in the world. And when you see the the way 
fintech is really changing uh, how how technology is changing finance throughout my career. I think I was obviously the, the good old days. There was internet coming coming online, right? When people have emails, spreadsheets, replacing fax, then you have um, high speed trading system really replacing the way stocks and bonds, epic market chain uh, executed. Um, and the derivative market, really, the whole structured product space, that's where you really have super, a lot of computing power driving a lot of um, financial instruments. And you see new asset classes coming to life. I mean, volatility in options is a new concept. Uh, and now everyone knows about volatility. There's a volatile VIX index, and, and it becomes a very common um product class. Michelle, I can see how your earlier days as a quant and even studying as a physicist uh, sets you up perfectly for financial technology. But what was it that uh, brought you to Hashkey in the first place? And how long have you been there? I think what's interesting was that if you look at a lot of financial technology out there uh, until blockchain, really, a lot of it's really using technology to improve the traditional way of doing finance. You still have stock and bonds settling three days later, T for three. That was from 100 years ago, while stock and bonds, a piece of paper, needed to be moved across town, right? Um, and where blockchain really, uh, as a, the co-concept of a distributed ledger, um, has, you can see that that would change the fundamental I think, underpinning of finance, how trust and verification can be done um, on distributed ledger in a, in a very totally different way. You really start get you thinking in terms of what exactly is finance. It's really packages of trust, uh, having intermediaries, um, verifying it, uh, passing that trust along through legal contracts, legal system. And I think the technology of, of blockchain really make that a lot more efficient, um, having a lot of this uh, on a distributed basis uh, across the system. So really fascinating. It really fascinated uh, me at the time. So UBS, Capital Markets, um, and now Hashkey Group. Can you introduce Hashkey Group to the listeners who may not appreciate the full, the business line? We are very fortunate. Hashkey Group, uh, our founder, uh, Dr. Xiaofeng, he was, I think, one of the visionaries in, in the region. He was, like myself, actually a traditional financier. He had regulatory background. He was previously um, yeah, in, in the PBRC, People's Republic Bank of China, and also in the financial regulators in the, uh, in the 90s in China. Um, and he was one of the founders of Bocera Asset Management, uh, one of the largest uh, asset management firm on the mainland today. He moved over and founded uh, Wanchang Holdings, and then the group then uh, invested across various aspects of fintech, payments, uh, big data, and then blockchain. So back in 2015, uh, he's already was a very active investor in various early stage blockchain projects. And at the time, uh, he invested back someone called uh, Vitalik Buterin and his project Ethereum. Um, uh, now, that was only one of 200 projects that I think uh, he has invested over the years. Um, we're very active, obviously, in the Ethereum circle, uh, then and obviously subsequently in all the various newer chains related to Ethereum, uh, Polkadot, uh, ICP, etc. So um, the group really started 
of being an investor. So the way we look at this business is still very much, we're fascinated with the technology. We continue to be to run one of the largest uh, investment portfolio in the fintech space in both, I think, blockchain application and the very fundamental protocols as well as um, various newer technology that, that is happening in that space right now in both token and equity. And that kind of company level of investing continues within Hashkey, within Hashkey Capital, That's correct? Right. Yes. So Hashkey was founded um, at late 2018. At the time, it was clear that I think through the very various investment, this is a very big space, has a lot of potential. Um, at the time, it's very clear that they're really, from a financial technology standpoint, this is going to be very, very relevant to financial businesses. So Hashkey was set up to be essentially a financial focus, a crypto focus uh, company. And also the way we saw it was that regulation is extremely important in financial services. Right. So today the group has offices in Japan, in Hong Kong, in Singapore. You've got the capital business. Uh, what other business lines are in Hashkey Group? Sure. Uh, as mentioned, uh, by, uh, capital is the core. That's the initial uh, investment uh, businesses. So we currently... Uh, has have three funds, uh, that, and, and, and one is actually in the middle of, of fundraising right now. It's probably one of the few, I think, professionally run funds of the type in, in Asia. So that's one business line. And they've got their emphasis is on blockchain and fintech investments at that kind exactly. of Very much, company uh, level. Exactly. Got it. Great. So the brokerage, the information services or technology service capital, and then the fourth business line. We are uh, currently a licensed uh, broker dealer in uh, Tokyo, and we're in the process of uh, applying for a, a trading platform and uh, exchange uh, service uh, license in Hong Kong as well. So, and then uh, that is something obviously a liquid, so that it, it allows people to to access liquidity. I think longer term, um, ultimately. Uh, in the financial business, you, you're matching, I think, uh, investors with uh, people needing uh, capital. So provider and, and, and takers of capital. And that's where I think this exchange, hopefully longer term, uh, would have a lot of newer and more innovative uh, products that, that will come on board. Now, Michelle, you mentioned earlier about being regula regulation friendly yeah. um, and that Hashkey here in Hong Kong has applied to be a regulated digital asset exchange. Can you help us understand the difference between regulated versus unregulated and who you would serve uh, as your client base? I think um, different jurisdictions obviously you have seen have taken a different view around assets i think certain jurisdictions take more the security security approach view i think the crypto as a security uh, certain jurisdictions see it more as a payment tool so there's the concept of a payment token and then also utility tokens um, so there are really three major ways of looking at these these assets and i think what is fundamental here is really to ensure that uh, investors are protected. First of all, is really ensuring that um, safety of safety of asset. I think have a very high standard in terms of your custodial services. You have all your anti-hacking, 
or your proper uh, cybersecurity measure to ensure that assets are safe. Now, that is something which I think after de- centuries of refinement, traditional banking has done really well. Um, and having the insurance and everything else. So, but you can see this developing extremely quickly. This is a very fast field. And, and it's very basic, right? The ability to really ensure safety of assets uh, and auditing of, of such assets. Um, the second is really around fairness of market. And this is where I think um, regulators are also very focused on is, is yeah, to ensure that uh, th- th- there's no funny business, there's no people taking advantage of, of, of the markets, ensuring that there's transparency of information. So having a very high standard around that is important. Now, obviously, then you have the third third layer of KYC and uh, anti-money laundering, etc., which, I mean, is, 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 is a very basic thing that, as a, as a proper responsible business, you need KYC, to- know your customer, so it's just making sure that uh, you're uh, dealing appropriately with exactly. all the securities yeah. you handle. We're talking about the tokenization of assets, and uh, you're from the traditional finance world. How are you finding the response from former colleagues, traditional finance, towards these new asset classes and the uh, and all that Hashkey has to offer, it's got to be a little bit uh, uh, same, same, but different. Yeah, it's quite interesting in that it is a space which is highly volatile. I think I joined the the, the area kind of during the yeah one well, of the crypto winters uh, early on, and people were scratching their heads saying, "Well, interesting career choice." <laughs> um, I think they a lot of people really just look at it really as a pure way to make money, right? That's the natural human nature. Uh, but if you really dig deep into technology, that's where things get really, really interesting. Um, I think it is re- very much about uh, you have a new technological innovation that's growing extremely quickly um, with a lot of uh, sort of new talent rushing in. You can see this in the technology technology space. And this is where I personally sort of take as a measure, right? If you look at the number of blockchain developers, uh, developers that are joining the blockchain space, both in the US and in China. I mean, it's a hugely, it's a very steep curve. And the interesting thing with software is that historically, obviously in the internet age and web, what we call web 1.0, 2.0, a lot of the constraint is really on CPU speed, right? On Then you have the, the more slow. Uh, we're kind of in the space, blockchain becomes almost like a network business. It's really about how much, how many people actually join the, the, the network and the protocol. That's where the values suddenly start kicking in. And, and therefore, you see the development is actually a lot faster. The adoption is a lot faster. Uh, and the use of the technology of this new technique is actually growing a lot faster than... I think, yeah, the the traditional Web 2.0. And how do these rate as potential investments if you're uh, looking for new asset classes? Yeah, obviously I don't give investment advice, but this is just my kind of personal thinking. I I think some of us who who have been around long enough to remember the dot-com bubble. Uh, Obviously, there were a lot of very interesting concepts. There were a lot of new ways of evaluating companies. And a lot of the, the, the stuff were actually very valid. But obviously, there's a lot of things that are, in hindsight, did not make sense. I think we're kind of in that stage uh, of development. Now, how do you know 
what is a pet.com versus a Amazon. It's not easy. Um, so a lot of it, is, the, the way I look at it, I mean, the, the good thing is because this is also pretty small scale investing as well. It's not like a stock and bond where it can cost quite a bit to buy one unit. Um, I mean, the, these are actually high liquid instruments. So um, I, I personally, I, I see a lot of people just really um, having diversified portfolios across across different protocols, different projects. The way we run our investment portfolio, we look at really um, different layers. The protocol layer is still by far the most exciting, but is becoming very mature. So it's very hard to have a super new startup building something from scratch. I think a lot of the very su- the, the successful project or to be successful project already have a, a huge pedigree, right? They already have a very large, strong team of, of very committed and experienced people. Um, now, the next layer, really, the, the more, um, the, the layer two, so to speak, or, or, or uh, it's... It, obviously, there's still a lot of newer uh, ideas that can be implemented, uh, and and I think that's where the more venture type investing can take place. Then there's the application layer, which I think anything ha- happen right. It's almost like the internet days where people are trying to figure out what technology can change the world. What is the next Amazon? Where's the next Facebook? I think that's actually the most exciting, but maybe we're a little bit too early to really see clearly where, where that is going. But I mean, there's just a lot of smart people trying a lot of smart things. So it's just very exciting just to learn about it. That's You, you need to be passionate about it. it. It shouldn't... Well, obviously, it's good to know that you are participating in the next tech revolution. But um, but you need to really spend time and really understand and think through these possibilities. Why Hong Kong? Uh, because I know we've got you've got offices in Singapore and Japan. Hong Kong's your headquarters. Is there any you know, rationale think, for it? Well, I think Hong Kong is by far st- definitely uh, was the most dynamic uh, financial markets uh, in the region. Now, obviously, Singapore and and Tokyo both have their strengths, um, but they both have different sort of. I think investor uh, base. I think Hong Kong is uh, much more of. I think it's a much more of a capital market, so to speak. Uh, and they are looking, and regulators are looking at it more as a stock and bond type of uh, regulation around this. I think Singapore is traditionally more a currency or, or, or payments type market, and I can see them being very important in in in, in developing an ecosystem in Southeast Asia. Um, I think for us, uh, proximity to China is very important. Uh, I think a lot of the applications is going to come out of China. Uh, This is where, obviously, you have a lot of smart city projects, a lot of the big internet giants already have thousands of people in the blockchain department building in-house usage of the technology. And, And you can see this really becoming very mainstream very quickly, and, and we need to be very close to the tech trends. Michelle, this is a slightly tougher question. You've talked about blockchain development in China, and, and at the same time, there are new regulations that prohibit virtual assets in China. Can you help kind of separate those two pools for us? I think the most important thing is really um, investor protection, right? Because ultimately, I think Hong Kong is an easier market to regulate in that this is a much smaller market. 
is a market where I think most investors have had experience of quite a few cycles, a lot of up and downs. I think people are much more mature, and there's much larger base of professional investors. So I think I can see where regulators come from. They they, they look at this and say, well, are the people buying it really? Do they really know what they're doing? Uh, are they taking excess risk? And and I can see why, um, they, yeah, certain certain decisions were made. Now, uh, at the same time, I think it's a too te- too important technology to um, to to not uh, be focused on it. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, there there are different ways of of allowing the 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 technology to develop, and you can see certain certain larger countries obviously are taking different stands, right? Then I think Hong Kong, Singapore tend to have a little bit more of a leeway because it is a financial uh, center and, and people are used to taking risk. Now, at the start of this year, you said 2021 would be the tipping point for institutional participation in digital assets. Yes. Has the year played out as you thought? Or have you seen uh, higher or lower levels of demand in uh, amongst institutional investors? Looking back, uh, it's definitely, it seems like our, our prediction at the time was correct. Um, and you do see the deepest pool of institutional money is in the U.S., and you really have seen the very large hedge funds being the first mover in that space. Then the endowment fund are already very much involved. You have all the major tech players now now invest coming into the space, and 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 also the, the the big Wall Street banks. And I think it's it's interesting. You have the West Coast versus Wall Street. They all have a slightly different view on how this technology should be used or regulated. Uh, but that's you, you see the dynamism in, in that investing space. And Asia is definitely following this very closely. As you look ahead in the next two to three years, um, what do you foresee for the adoption of digital assets in Hong Kong? Uh, is this a, kind of a sure thing or is this a slowly, slowly? Um, how do you see I think it would take time. It's, it's one of these things. I mean, these te- new technological developments often takes time to, there's a lot of basic building blocks that needs to be built. And it's one of these things over the last, I think, decade. It's only a decade old, this technology. I think the actual technology itself has transformed quite significantly over the last three years. I mean, in terms of the the, the amount of new talent flowing in from a technology standpoint. But that's only one part of the equation. Now you look at all the big four accounting firm, consulting firm, are all focused on this because guess what? What is their major business in audit? It's really verification. And this is a much better and much more efficient tool for verifying data. Um, so they, they see, definitely see this being being very important. Now you have, you have the law firms uh, really looking at, um, I think this is a lot of the smart contracts, a lot of the newer technology, uh, because how do you do securitization in the future? You, 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 a lot of these, the, the whole concept of a, a smart contract, who is the issue of the ownership of, of such an asset? Um, these are all going to be. These are all very cutting edge stuff, and and you can see how uh, it's really impacting how traditional finance are will be conducted. Now, if I am in the finance arena and I'm wanting to 
learn more. What are some of the uh, sources that you recommend for increasing my knowledge of this area? Obviously, listening to your podcast is one. <laughs> um, I think there is actually a huge amount of uh, material, and this is what's fascinating in today's days and age. I mean, you can learn about the latest technology, latest protocol, um, you can find a lot of stuff online. Now, some of them are very jargon heavy, but some of them tend to be uh, a lot more simplified. Um, and I think uh, the material is definitely there. I think a lot of it, what we are definitely hopefully working together, uh, be able to produce better content and, and really uh, I think educate the marketplace. I think there are very so, uh, quite a few fundamental uh, concepts and and the way yeah valuation and how do you look at so these asset as an investment or asset class is is very different from traditional finance. And any um, uh, final words of advice for people who are in traditional finance and exploring this field? Uh, any kind of a, a words of welcome or warning that you would provide them if they're thinking of coming uh, into the crypto space? I think it's definitely, you, if you look at the way the economy has evolved, right, there's always been new ideas and very often they're not, more often than not, the new ideas actually turn out to be the future. I think you need to be in keep with, with what's going on. That that's a fundamental of investing, right? You you really, if you're in finance, you better know what's the next trend. I think financial people are really smart in terms of staying on top of things, but obviously don't get uh, carried away by hype. Uh, I think I, I think people in Hong Kong are, are pretty smart with that, so I, I'm not worried. Uh, but I think a lot of the uh, Obviously, a lot of the use cases being put out there, they may or may not actually make sense, right? And I think the other thing is also for people who are a little bit more seasoned. Uh, I think you do see the world changing extremely quickly. I mean, with all this new technology that the younger generation is, is adopting and, and the way the attention span is, is really shortening. Facebook turning itself into a metaverse company. I mean, that's, I can imagine that world coming quite soon, which is ultimately is a bit of a challenge for all of us to stay on top of, but obviously have to ensure that we all stay, stay, yeah, stay on top of things and also stay sane, right? Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining us and providing an introduction to Hashkey Group. Thank you, Walter. Thank you so much for listening to more about Hashkey Group in our interview with Michelle Lee. I'm Walter Jennings, and this is Crypto Savvy. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating. And wherever you get your podcasts, hit subscribe and hit like. And thanks for listening to Crypto Savvy. Thank you for listening to Crypto Savvy, the podcast that delivers the essentials, brought to you by Hashkey Group.